0: This is tape number 11 of the series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven, by Dr. Joel Hunter. The subject of this message is, What We'll Be Doing in Heaven? Dr. Hunter's scripture text is Revelation, chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, and from the New International Version, it reads as follows, And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His bondservants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall no longer be any night... And they shall not have the need of the light of the lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God shall illumine them and they shall reign forever and ever. And now, let's join in for praise and worship followed by message number 11 What Will Be Doing in Heaven in this series, The Destination of Faith Heaven
1: God, thank you for calling us here this morning. We know we are here Not because it was our idea, but because there was something in us who wanted to be with the people of God, to be with you and to be taught and to worship. God, at this time, come to us and open up your word to us with your Holy Spirit. So that as we worship later, we might worship you more accurately. And we might worship you, as your word says, in spirit and in truth. Thanks for this time. So great to be together and so great to be with you. Teach us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And if you have your scriptures with you, if you would turn to the last chapter of the Bible, and I will uh, be teaching uh, just a little closing thing this morning on um, service. You know, we are in this year-long study of faith. And at the beginning of the year, we thought it would be a good idea to talk about heaven because that's the destination of our faith. That's what continually um, um, uh, influences the present, is, is God's uh, purpose for which he made us. Now, two weeks ago, I talked about our relationship with one another in heaven and how that will be chiefly one of love. And, of course, the, uh, the uh, manifestation of love is always service. You know, and so I, I I believe that we'll be serving one another in heaven. I believe it says we'll be serving one another in heaven, not because there are any needs in heaven, but because that's the nature of Christ. Uh, and And last week, we talked about becoming more like Christ through worship. We said our relationship with God will be one that is chiefly characterized by worship. Only I mean, it's not just a let's focus on God, a subject-object relationship. No, true worship, mature worship, is what makes us be like God. As it says in the Bible, brethren, we know not yet what we shall be, but we know this, that we will be like Him, because then we will see Him as He is. And so, that's what worship is, it's becoming like God. Well, Christ, who was God's manifestation to us, was a servant. So we know we will be servants, but... Watch this. This week it gets a little bit trickier. Because this week we talk about the other half of who Christ was. Christ was not only a servant, he was a ruler. Christ not only came to die for us, he came to reign. And so therefore, if we are to be like Christ, the Bible makes the reference that we will also be rulers. We will also reign with him. Now, it's strange, isn't it, to think of ourselves as reigning in heaven. Who are we going to reign over? What are we going to do? Well, turn to this chapter and let me begin here. The first uh, few verses are a recapitulation of uh, Eden, of some of the images of Eden, only uh, with a few improvements. (laughs) And he showed me a river of the water of life. Remember how Eden was settled amongst the rivers. He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse. This is a new and improved paradise here, new and improved garden. There shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His bond servants, doulos. Now <clears throat> I want you to notice this word for servant. I want you to notice that the rest of what I'm going to read to you is the predicate for this subject. The predicate for this subject is the is the adjectives that describe the quality of this. This phrase, his bond servants shall serve him and they shall see his face. Remember, last week we talked about, and we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. In other words, we will have his identity in our minds, imprinted in our minds. We will have the mind of Christ, we will think like Christ. And there shall no longer be any night and they shall not have any need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God shall illumine them. And they, who? His bondservants, his slaves, us. And they shall reign forever and ever. Isn't that weird to think of that? In a way it's weird and in a way it's not. Uh, We were made... For greatness. Now I say that, and y'all get a little humble here. You, oh no, not me. I was just made to be a humble servant. Yeah, well, let's think about this for a minute. Look at the first chapter of Genesis, and see how, from the very beginning, we were made in the image of God, and immediately we were commanded to take dominion over the earth. We were made to rule. We were made to have responsibility. We were made to be great. You can see this in the, in the quality of little kids who really come out of the womb thinking that the world ought to revolve around them. They have this primar- primordial instinct for greatness. Now, the weird thing is that we never know quite what we're supposed to be great at. You know, all of us would love to be great. All of us have the sense that there, we were made for something great. We were made for something wonderful. But, but none of us have the details of that. Indeed, even in the descriptions of heaven and our reigning with Christ in heaven, there are not a lot of details here. Now, why is that? Why is our being made for greatness... And by the way, this is not a talk on self-esteem. I... I I'm not a big self-esteem kind of guy. Self-esteem is kind of a psychotherapeutic model. And and whereas I believe it has some clinical benefits, it is very misleading theologically. So I don't believe in in, uh, uh, psychotherapy as uh, as a philosophy of life. I believe in theology. And God says, you were made to have dominion. So that's what I believe in. You were made to be great. A little lower than the angels. A little lower than the angels. That's what I believe. So why is it we were made for this and we don't have the details? Why is it all of you feel like you really want to do something significant in life and you don't quite know what it is? And probably many of you have given up on that idea altogether. You come out with these great dreams, you know, say, Oh man, I'm gonna go out and conquer the world, you know. And then you have people along the way say, Ah, oh, come on, you're nothing special. You haven't got any great abilities. Come on, don't quit kidding yourself. And besides, that's prideful. Don't do that. That's prideful. Forget that ambition. So, why do we have this hunger? And why do we not know what we are to be? How come God hasn't filled in the details for us? Why do we have very many people who someday just say, "Ah, I'll just go do my regular stuff and forget about all this, this hunger I have inside of me? Well, I'll tell you why. At least one reason. Because of the nature of sin... Every time we try to be great, we confound ourselves. In other words, the only way we can ruin the greatness for which we were made is to try to be great. It's a paradox. And the very picture that God could give us in our image would become a management by objective. Okay, I got this. Got out of the way. I'm going to accomplish this come hell or high water. So God kind of makes it nebulous. And God gives us another path to greatness. Again, so that we won't make fools out of ourselves trying to make our own greatness. Trying to be great on our own and therefore become hypocrites because we We're trying to be great, but we really know we aren't inside. Now, again, you've seen this from the time you were little. I I know most of you boys, when you were growing up, if you're my age or younger, or I mean older, many of you guys grew up and had some sort of authority thing. With us, it was uh, cowboys, and we all had sheriff's badges, you know, when we were growing up. Or or policemen, and we all had sheriff's badges, and we we carried these things around, you know. And 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 you started to think of yourself as the sheriff. Yeah, I got this badge. See, this says I. Well, somebody gave me one last night. It, it was it is a little plastic thing. Yeah, it's just so cool when people listen to the sermon. So, you know, so you wore this sheriff, and you and you tried to arrest people. You know, and, and of course every other boy in the neighborhood had one, but for some reason you thought yours was real. And theirs wasn't. You know? So you try to rest and say, yeah, pff, I'm, you're under arrest. And the, kid, and the kids, they look at it and say, you're just a snot nosed kid. I'm not. No, I'm the sheriff. See this? I'm the sheriff. And, and you kind of invested magical powers in this thing and really believed that you were some sort of authority and become rather obnoxious about it, I suspect. <laughs> well, that's what happens when we, when we focus on this, uh, uh, on this deal. You know, we want to make for our own greatness, we want to make our own authority. That's why when little boys grow up, they join these, these uh, organizations that have uh, special hats and secret handshakes. And, and uh, they want to be the high uh, potentate of the eastern mystic uh, uh, water buffalo of the Nile, see? And, uh, yeah, and, and you, you can understand that. You can understand that for somebody who is not respected enough at work or maybe a little bit hen hen-pecked at home. Uh, uh, You'd, you'd kind of want to be the grand pooh-pah-something-or-other, or wouldn't you? So so we, we go through these kind of silly stages where we want to want somebody to elevate us up high and, and we want to make our own greatness and we'll fill in our own details. Uh, we all have a penchant that says, oh, if I can only outdo someone else. If I can only uh, outsmart someone else. And, and, and it goes to absolutely ludicrous lengths. The other day I was driving to the beach... Um, and, uh, and 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 uh, I saw this sign. It was a green, lime green poster on the side of the thing, on the side of the road, uh, by the Eagles Nest or Mike's Corner or whatever it is. And and it had an arrow pointing down the down the road, and it said on it simply "Animal Swap." And I thought, what a "Animal Swap"? I, I didn't drive down, but I. I Driving on the road and I'm picturing this in my mind, you know. And what do you do? Do you go and take your dog in, you know? Come out come out well, I got thirteen chickens and a duck for my dog, man. I I really did that guy in, you know. What if you're really bad at it? You know, you take in a cow, you come out with a goldfish. Man, I got done. Something went wrong here, you know. Or you're really good at it. Take in roadkill, come out with a pony, you know. but I, I just thought of how we try to outdo one another, how we try to outbargain bargain one another and, and be greater than one another. You see? Well, that kind of ambition is something that makes us less. C.S. Lewis made the differentiation between ambition that tries to be better than its fellows or ambition that simply tries to do a job well. He said the first type of ambition is damaging. As a matter of fact, Bernard of Clairvaux said this. He said that type of ambition is the mother of hypocrisy and the moth of holiness. I love that. Moth of holiness. Some of you younger folks who... Uh, live in a day of synthetic uh, fabric don't know what that moth of holiness is all about but some of us can remember going in the closet you know, and pulling out a shirt and going oh man, a moth had a hole in this thing and that's what Bernard of Clairvaux said, it's a moth in the fabric of holiness this wanting to be over people as a matter of fact, when we think in terms of greatness when we are in the mentality of the world that's automatically what we think of That by being great, by being made for greatness, that means God wants us to be over somebody. Well, it will be of little surprise to you that God defines greatness a little bit differently than the world does. It should be of some initial surprise that God does not discourage ambition. You know, when ambitious people came to Jesus, he didn't reprove them. He taught them how. To achieve the greatness that they had been pre-wired for. If you will turn to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, we will see one of those incidents. Starting with verse 35, Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 35, we got a couple of pistols on our hands here. They're the sons of Zebedee, and of course, Zebedee means thunder. Sons of thunder. And and so these guys were just kind of outrageous anyhow. And, and one day they came to Jesus, and it says, And James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to him, saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, you all have been in this situation. You've had people come up to you, say, to you and say, Will you do me a favor? Now, your first response is to say, Sure. Don't ever respond like that right off the bat. Jesus didn't, you know. Sure, you know, we we usually say, sure, whatever you want, just name it, you know? That's 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 not a good response. Because many times, as Jesus knew, people will ask you either for something that's beyond your power or something you probably shouldn't do. So don't respond. Respond like Jesus. Look at what Jesus said, verse 36. Well, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) Find out what it is. And they said, well, grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right hand and one on your left. Well, Jesus looks at them. <laughs> these guys. Just typical kids, you know. Oh, we want the big stuff here. Jesus looks at him and says, well, to paraphrase, are you able to drink of the cup which I drink? Are you able to follow me where I go? In other words, are you able to live the sacrificial lives that I? you're going to have to to stick with me? He's testing them out. They didn't even hesitate. Oh, we're able. Yeah. Yeah, we're able. I used to, I I remember my, one of my favorite songs growing up as a Methodist boy is is "Are You able?" I had a great old hymn. "Are You able?" Oh, we are able. Our spirits are thine. Yeah, well, and then and then we'd you know we'd flunk out five minutes out the door, but and and so Jesus says, well, let, let me tell you something here, boys. He says, what you're asking is not really mine to give. Look at verse 40. But to sit on my right hand or on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. You know you have a place that's been prepared for you. It says that in several places in Scripture. A place that's been prepared for you. Uh, therefore, if you don't know the details of it, don't worry about it. It doesn't mean it goes away. It just means uh, you don't know about it yet. And so he says... And hearing this, and the rest of the story goes, and hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. They're thinking to themselves, who are these guys? Aren't we disciples like these guys? And these guys are trying to get ahead? Wait a minute here. you know." So they got all mad. What does Jesus do? Well, he doesn't turn to James and John and say, shame on you. You want to get ahead of your brothers here. That's just bad. Don't do that. Look at what he does. He calls them all together. Calling all of them. A little family circle here. And he said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentile, that recognized is a key word. We are going for recognition. Those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Now there's the key word. There's the operative word. Because when the world thinks of reigning, it links it with the word over. Read the rest of that sentence. And their great men exercise authority over them. There it is again. Now here is the big change, the big difference between ruling as a Christian and ruling as in the world. As a Christian, Jesus is going to teach these guys how to achieve their greatest ambition. How to dislodge The concept of ruling and reigning reigning from being over people to being, what's this, under people. How to rule from underneath. You know, not very many of you folks will ever have the chance to have public greatness. Not very many of us will ever have millions watching us. Oh, we dream of it. You're driving down the road and you hear some song. You know, Whitney Houston comes on and starts belting out these great songs. And don't you just picture yourself singing that in front of an audience. Come on now, come clean with me. I'm not the only guy that does this. You know? Come clean. Don't you? Oh, yeah, you know, boy, if I could play like that, oh, they'd all love me then, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well... let me just I hate to do this but you probably won't be there not many of us will ever have the opportunity for recognized public greatness but all of us have the opportunity for godly greatness all of us and Jesus tells us how he doesn't discourage us from wanting to become great he says you want to do that let me tell you how look at verse 40 I mean verse 43 but it is not so among you disconnected from those thoughts Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. You see how those are linked together? Ruling and servanthood are the same thing. They're the same thing. Look, he says you want to be the greatest? Look at the next verse. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave to all. And then it tells you why. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You were made from the very beginning to reflect God, to be made in His image. Well, God was a servant. And so this isn't about you, it's about God. We have the challenge of ontology here. That's what we were talking about last week. week. Becoming like Christ. Christ is who we are, and Christ was a servant. And so therefore, if Christ came to serve, that's what we're here for. So there is this path to greatness. Now, the, the, the barrier to the path is this. We have all linked the concept greatness with doing something that is, that is so outstanding, that is so unbelievable, that is so far ahead of the crowd that none of us can get to it. None of us can get to it. And then we are frustrated because we don't see God giving us the opportunity to do anything really great. And so we feel average. Well, let me show you something. Second Kings chapter five. If you haven't got your scriptures with you to turn to this, mark that down and and and, and look this up later on. This is a great Second Kings chapter five. I love this. I love this passage. One of the best in all the Bibles in, in my life. Naaman. First fourteen verses. I'm not going to read all fourteen, but I'm going to tell you the story. It's about Naaman. Naaman had everything going from in the eyes of the world, he was great. <clears throat> he was great. And he liked to be challenged to great things. See? And that's what he was used to and that's what he was looking for. He was looking for great things. Always looking for great things. But at the same time he was great, there was something wrong with him. He had something that canceled out all of the rest of his greatness. Look at that first verse. Now, Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram. I like that boy. Top dog. dog top dog was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram and the man was also a valiant warrior he had five things going for him he had position he was captain of the army his master thought a lot of him so he was he was recognized by his authority figure he was respected which mean the meant all the people thought a lot of him he was given victory by the Lord, and he was indeed a valiant warrior. He not only had position; he could carry through. So he had everything going for him, and only one thing wrong, and that one thing just about canceled everything else out. Look at the last part of that that sentence. But he was a leper. He was a leper, and so he had this hurt in his life, this giant vacuum. And there was a little girl, I'll tell you the rest of it, a little uh, Israel girl, Israelite girl, says, you know, the God of my country heals that stuff. And so, Aram uh, was, uh, the king of Aram was so uh, uh, um, set with that, he said, well, I'll I'll just send Naaman over there to get healed. As a matter of fact, I'll just write the king. We'll do this king to king thing, you know. King to king, sending over my boy, giving you a big old offering here, heal him. So he sends this message to the king of Israel. Well, the king of Israel is sitting there. He did not know anything about healing. He goes, I don't know nothing about no healing, you know. He's just really scared. He's saying, what's going on? This guy thinks I can heal him. As he's trying to start a war. He gets all paranoid and he gets all disturbed. And in the Old Testament, when you were grieved, you tore open your garments. And you're crying, oh God, and you just tore open your, your garments. Well, look at verse 8. <laughs> and it happened that when Elisha, the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you, why have you torn your clothes? <laughs> I love this. Now, let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, all of these chariots loaded up with bounty, see? And I'm going to pay you big time. Well, I'm going I'm to go visit the man of God. Going to his house. So it says, So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Can't you just see this guy? Captain of the army of Aaron. Here I am. Okay. Come on out, Elisha. Look what it says. Verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. He wouldn't even come out himself. He sent a little servant. Sent a little servant. That was humiliating. But look. He has even a more humiliating message through the servant. Look what it says Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Well, look at verse 11. Naaman was furious, and he went away, stomped up. Behold, I've, and he said, Behold, I thought he, meaning Elisha, will surely come out to me. And stand now here we got a Colosseum healing service in 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 Naaman's mind. Okay, rent the Colosseum, I'm gonna get healed in front of everybody. He says, And surely stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. That's what I thought was gonna happen. I thought and he comes and he comes and tells me to wash in some muddy old stinking river. Look not only that, look what it says next. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Man, in my home country, these waters sparkle. They're clean. I've got to go down in this stupid, dirty river and wash? He is furious because he was expecting something great. And he got some regular old order. Just do what's in front of you right there. You don't have to do anything great. I'm not going to do anything great for you. Just do that and you'll be healed. Well, he started stomping off. Now, here's a lesson. He had a few guys around him that would tell him the truth. There's a sermon in itself. Always keep somebody around you who will tell you the truth. They are obnoxious. (laughs) You don't like it. They get on your nerves. They're worth their weight in gold. Keep him around. Keep around somebody who will be honest with you. Keep around somebody who will tell you the truth. Look at what it says. Verse 13. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then, when he says to you, wash and be clean? In other words... Just because it's something simple and it's right in front of you, does that make it any less, more, less effective? Does that make it any less that you should do this thing? I want to tell you, I want to ask you a question. How many of you are waiting around for some opportunity to be really great? <laughs> and, and someday, you know, you just think it'll come, you know? Uh, and then I'll be great. You know, if this had only happened, then I'd be great. Then I could really function. Then I could really do this. Listen to these folks. Listen to them. You know, if God would ask you to do something great, I'm sure you'd do it. What about when he asks you just to do something simple that's right in front of you? See, that's the path to greatness. Jesus said, you who are faithful over little, I'll set over much. That's the equation. That's the heavenly equation. I know that there are those in this sanctuary that says, say, oh God, if I ever come into a bunch of money, boy, you're going to be a rich man. <laughs> you know, I'm going to give a whole bunch to the church. Yeah. If I ever win the lottery, how many of you say, "Oh, win me the lottery, God! You got a good portion of that, yeah." How about if God says, "Never mind winning the lottery. Just uh, maybe give me ten extra bucks a week." What's the first thing that goes through your mind? Wait a minute, I got ten bucks a week. Uh, wait a minute, that won't make any difference. That's a little thing, and besides, I can use those ten extra. I, now that won't make now that won't make any difference. God, you see probably isn't going to have any of you win the lottery but he calls all of you to serve that's the great revelation of the genius of God he will give you all of the opportunity to be great in ways that only he can fully appreciate you aren't recognized by anybody else or even yourself as doing anything great but you're doing the little things that are right in front of you some of you say Oh, man, if I could have ten minutes, ten minutes in front of President Clinton and the Congress, I'd tell them how to run it. I'd tell them what was wrong. I could t- I, I'd give them a piece of my mind. I, that I wish they'd listen to me because I would speak to them and they would hear what I had to say. You're never going to have ten minutes in front of Clinton or the Congress. But God has given you all a way that you can speak to them. It's called voting. You speak your mind clearly. Oh, but that doesn't seem like it's important. That doesn't seem like it will make a difference. Is that not great enough for you? If God were to give you the opportunity to go speak to the president, if the president would call you on the phone, you'd be there tomorrow if he provided the plane. Of course you would go. Why won't you go to the voting booth? You see, it's the little things that make for greatness. The things that nobody notices. The things that you probably won't even remember. I know that all of you have a great heart. You say, boy, if I had, you know, Northland's got space problems. If I, if I were rich, man, I'd donate a building. Will you donate your seat? You know, just you maybe inconvenience yourself and come to another. You know, it's a very simple thing. I know some of you, some of you fathers love your kids to the extent that if they dashed out in front of a car, you would not even hesitate to do the Superman thing and to push them out of the way even if it meant getting hit by that car yourself. But will you listen to them for five minutes when they come home from school? Will you just pay attention to them? That doesn't seem so great, but that's what they need. You may never get a chance... To do something heroic from your, for your family. But everything you do for your wife or your husband or your kids is heroic in the eyes of God. You understand? That's what God gives us to do. Wash in the muddy river. And we will be healed. And we will rule. Because the rule of Christ is servanthood. You see, God isn't... Impressed with power. God's got all the power he needs. But if we serve as a rule, we will rule as a service. That's what God wants. He wants us to have the kind of character that is so used to serving that when it comes to a place of authority and credibility... It doesn't think of itself as a ruler. It still thinks of itself as a servant. That's God's concern. And to be good at what we do, because we have built it in the right way, we have not gone for the clouds, we have gone for the basics. That's what God wants. You know, Augustine once said this. I love this. He said, Would you rise? Then first... Descend. Think of the, think of the passage. Think of the, think of the character of Christ. Would you rise? Then first descend. He said, If you would build a building with the tower that pierces the clouds, first you must build a foundation by piercing the dirt. We're building an extension. I have confidence that there will be hundreds of people in the future years saved in this building. Hundreds of people healed. Hundreds of people whose relationships are brought back together with God and with each other. Marriages reconciled. Kids that make decisions for the kingdom of God. People going in to ministries all over the place. I have confidence that's going to happen. That's pretty lofty. You see how we began? You see the first step of that? Go out and take a look this morning. We just got a bunch of ditches out there. You want to do something great? Start in the dirt. You want to build something high? Build a foundation. The higher the building, the deeper the foundation needs to be. You want to be great in your life? Serve those who look like it's below your station. In ways that you think will never be recognized. As a habit of your life. And watch. Watch. What happens? I was watching TV this week and uh, just the news. And they had a little news item on the national news. And uh, it was about Quincy Jones. I don't know how many of you know who Quincy Jones is. But Quincy Jones has just remarkably impacted the music industry of this country. He's an absolute genius. But they said in that piece that all Quincy ever wanted to do and all he wants to do still is just to be a good musician. I know all of us have this deep hunger to be great. Let it occur to you this morning that that comes by simply being a good husband and a good father and a good friend and a good student and a good worker. That's how greatness comes. That's how God's arranged it. Isn't it wonderful that all of us have the same opportunity for greatness? All of us. And lastly, I want you to remember that this greatness that God has designed us for is not about us. It's about Him. That's why we were simply made to be in His image so that when people saw us, they could be reminded of Him. So that His testimony, His Word, his goals, his attention to him becomes the central factor. I remember an um, a old black district superintendent I had when I first started the ministry in the Methodist church. And he told me about being raised with his mother who was the most saintly godly woman he'd ever known in his life. Despite that, through most of his teenage years, he had no use for Jesus at all. Because he just didn't get it. It didn't make any sense to him. And it doesn't to a teenager who thinks in the ways of the world. Here's a mother who'd work 14, 16 hours a day to support her kids. They had a lot of kids and support her kids. And and she's one of the hardest workers and just taught them the stories of Jesus over and over again. Especially the story about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Never, never connected with this kid. Except one night. They're all sitting around the supper table. He looked at his mom and his mom was just absolutely dog-tired. She'd already worked 14 hours that day just to provide what was on the table. And, of course, all of the kids had duties. And, of course, like all kids, they argued about why they shouldn't do them. She looked over at him. She said, Charles, it's your turn to wash dishes tonight. Charles didn't think it was his turn. He started arguing with his mom. and says, no, it's Jeremy's turn. Or Jerome, or whoever, whatever his name was. I think Jerome. It's Jerome's turn. Jerome said, no, it's not it's your turn, Charles. No, it's not. And they just started fighting. You know? My kids do. No, it's your turn. I remember, no, it's your turn. And, it just, and, just, and Charles said, out of the corner of his eye, he saw his mama get up, just quietly go over, start doing the dishes. He said... In a moment, it hit him what Jesus had done with the towel in the basin that night. In a moment, the reality of Christ came to his heart and to his life. You understand, Christians don't reign from above. They don't reign by power. They reign from beneath. They reign by service. And when we reign, it won't be about being in charge It'll be about being like Christ and being closer to Christ because we see Him as He really is. It's the little things that count. Last night, I'll close with this, I think. (laughs) Last night, oh, let me just tell you a few things. Most of you don't need great things done for you, do you? You just need little bits of encouragement to keep you going. Those little bits mean so much. People come up and say, Pastor, what can I do for you? I tell you what, I'm so blessed, I don't know. I, can't, I haven't got any big thing. But people continually do just little things. A few weeks ago, I preached a, a, a sermon and um, used the illustration of animal crackers. The next day, somebody put a box of animal crackers in my mailbox. I, just, I thought that was just so cool. Last night I, did, I, I give the sheriff's illustration and somebody comes by and I didn't even know who it was. They just stuffed this badge in my pocket. It just shows me somebody's listening. It's just so encouraging. And, and, and somebody asked me last night, and supp- we have suppers on Saturday nights, and did I uh, want something to eat? And I said, well, I, I, I kind of do, but I'm, 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 you know, needing to talk. So I, I was, you know, by the time I got done talking to the folks I needed to talk to, it was an hour and a half later and everything was kind of all, you know, taken away and and I was hungry, and I went in the kitchen out there and, and uh, turned on the light just looking for leftovers, you know? And somebody had left a plate with this huge piece of pizza on the napkin was written for Joel Hunter. I lifted it up. Of course, some little kid had taken a bite out of it. <laughs> but... That's all right, you know. You share your stuff, (laughs) but I thought I'll I'll never know who that That person was, and they don't need me to know. God knows. It's just a little bit of greatness, and when we do things like that, and we do them because of Jesus, it's just simply a way of getting closer to Jesus, and that's what counts. Last night, this, this I'll close with this. There's this little girl over here. Um, we have a children's sermon on Saturday nights. And, and last night the children's choir sang. And I love to watch those little kids come up. I mean, I absolutely adore this time. And I watched these two little kids come up. They were obviously sister. Both of them, both of them had little blonde curly hair and pink dresses with the, uh, the, what do you call those things? Petticoats. Is that what it is? The things that make your dress go out like that. I had three boys. I don't know anything about this stuff. But their dresses were just, you know, doing this thing here, you know. They just all came, you know. Well, I don't know if you ever went forward in a children's sermon, but I don't know if you know the impulse that most kids have when they get in front of a crowd. I mean, the church was just kind of packed out. and So most of the kids are up here and some of them are sleeping and, and, and some of them are... You know, doing a, This was always my impulse to kind of do a dance. <laughs> See what I get? You know. And uh, but here's this little girl, and all she did the whole time she was up here was look at her mom and say, <laughs> "You know what? I thought of Jesus. I thought of us being with him in heaven." I thought of Jesus giving us ten cities. And, and we say, okay, we got ten cities. But the whole time, we're just going to be going, hey, Jesus, look at me. <laughs> so, All that matters. Just being with Jesus. Pray with me. God, thank you for calling us into leadership. Thank you that you are going to teach us how to reign Not out of instruction, but out of example. Out of your spirit being in us. Out of your life being in us. Oh God, help us to love. Help us to do the little things that we don't think count, but the Bible says they count everything. Give us the faith to understand that heaven is the opposite in many ways of earth. That those things that we don't think count very much mean everything in the development of our character and in the example of who Christ was. Teach us, Lord, by
0: inhabiting us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.